All right, tonight we're going to do it on overcoming fear. So when I'm in countries like Israel, Mexico, churches in Texas, you know, it's just like you see this need of basic discipleship. You know, like sometimes I just go, why don't they just teach on overcoming fear? Just something that people can really relate to and not wait till we're in a major crisis to try to make us <laughs> learn not to fear. And I feel like there's going to be an example I'm going to use in here of how I feel like I'm doing to you on teaching on fear in the middle of a crisis. And so we'll look into that. But this is just basic, good old-fashioned discipleship that it doesn't seem like anywhere's doing it. Like they don't just take it and do a topical study on how to get fear out of your life. So I was thinking, well, I've got this lesson on overcoming fear, this older lesson. And when you were through with it, you would go, oh, I like this. I like these scriptures on fear. And you'd walk out the door and you would face some fear this week. And you would never think about the lesson or applying it. Because you have an emotional reaction to fear. And the Bible study was a has-been. It's gone. It was checked. It was good. I loved it. So tonight, I have tried to think of every single way you could possibly do it, of getting it where you would apply this lesson. I mean, I have considered all manner of evil to do against you to, I mean, to help you make sure that when we got out of here that you would have the ability that you would really think, oh, this is when I'm supposed to do it. Like, you don't get any extra credit for knowing it and not doing it. In fact, you get more judgment on you. I'm thinking, I'm seeing overcoming fear. So I'm really going to go a little deeper than that, and I'm going to go into some things that really have mattered to me, like where they really fit into my life about fear, where we go into the application of overcoming fear. Because if you don't win at this battle, you're not going to be able to have faith. And if you don't have faith, I don't like the thought of that. So what does it look like for you to live a life with no fear in it. I mean, is it really possible that you could flat live your life and not have fear in it? Could you? Okay, so if you would think about it, we have an environment of fear around us. I, I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> but there is an environment. We could take the parameters of this building and say, this is going to be a fear-free zone. And we're just going to keep it where, you know, there's no fear in here. I know one thing I've always liked about my parents' house is people go, oh, my gosh, when I come out here, I just feel peace. There's just peace on this home. And I'm saying you can have that way of existence. What does your home look like? What does your insides look like? Do you have that place inside of you where you're free of fear? So I'm going to start with an odd scripture because I'm making a huge case for having no fear in your life. But yet I'm going to tell you that one of the distinctions of you being a Christian is that there is a difference between what you fear and what the world fears. Did you know your set of fears should be different than what the world's set of fears are? If you're not, maybe you're not a Christian. <laughs> if you're not having a different set of fears, then maybe you're not discipled. Maybe you're not putting these into application. All right, now, I've just said something very confusing. I have said that you should have a different set of fears than what the world has as fear. I thought you said we were living in a no-fear zone. What do you mean you have a different set of fears? If the world has one set of fears. Well, I found this verse. My mother doesn't like it, but I like it. 
And it says, you are not to fear what they fear. Okay. So this is where it makes you different. You as a believer are not to fear what everyone else fears. You're not supposed to fear it. You're supposed to have a different fear than what they have. And I realize that my fears have got to change. I love this verse. I love what it does. It says, but the Lord of hosts shall be your fear. It says, you shall not fear what they fear. You shall not dread what they dread. The Lord himself shall be your fear. And the Lord himself should be your dread. I had a guy, I highly respected him. And he decided he was going to yell at me. <laughs> and he had his face down over me. And he was screaming in my face. And the only thing about it was I closed my eyes and I had peace. Because with my eyes closed, he sounded just like Rachel Kuntz. <laughs> and so I was like, this is not the famous so-and-so screaming at me. This is Rachel. I don't have to get upset about it. So the more he was screaming at me and telling me all manner of stuff, I just said, oh, it's Rachel. But I'll tell you what was pumping in my head was this verse because I just found it in my Bible. I just found this verse that I'm only supposed to fear God. So I told myself with him screaming and telling me this, 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 and this, and this, you're going to do. I said, I only have a fear that I will walk out of the situation and not do what God wants me to. I only dread that on judgment day I shall make a mistake and I'll mess up and my dread is that I won't do everything God wants me to do. That's my fear and that's my dread. I still respect the guy. But the man was putting intimidation screws on me. He was putting the fear tactics down on you. Put the fear screws down on you. He was using everything in his power of who he was to intimidate. But what he didn't know, that what was pumping in my head was, I only fear one thing. I fear that I won't do what God wants. I only dread one thing with my life. And that's how I would start. To be successful at overcoming fear, you've got to fear the right thing. You've got to really have it that it's not the fear of man. Did you know the fear of man is a snare to your soul? And you can't be in leadership if you have fear. You can't follow someone that's eaten up with fear. You can't have that walk with Christ that you've longed for if you're full of fear. So the distinction of you is who you fear. Now the commentaries say it real nice. I like how they say it. it's called the believing fear of God. You know, the believing fear of God preserves us against the disquieting fear of man. Disquieting? Oh my gosh, it's the screaming out loud fear of man. I mean, I don't know if it's like you, but the world is pretty noisy right now. This is not disquieting. <laughs> to me, it's like the absolute yelling fear of man. And I would say that there is really something that in your life, if you fear with your heart, I fear, I fear with my heart that the only fear that I want is the Lord. Have you ever had that fear of the Lord where you thought, I really want to make sure I do this right? And this was one of the hardest meetings because I was being sent out. He told me, he said, you're not allowed to leave my office. He said, you're not allowed. You have to right now put your signature on this. He said, right now, and a major ministry was either going to go down or up at this moment. I was so glad I had this verse. 
and there's going to be moments in your life the same thing will happen to you. You're going to have the devil screaming at you because the more important it is, the louder he'll scream. Unless you're an easy pray for him and he doesn't have to do much. There'll be times in your life where you're going to have to separate out what you're going to fear and what you're not going to fear. Because man is out there trying to make you fear him. Fear their opinion. Fear their approval. Fear the harm they can do to you. Man wants you to fear him. There's people in your life, they flat want you to fear them. Fear of displeasing them. Fear of hurting them. Fear. And at this point, the lordship of Jesus depends on if you make up your mind who you're going to fear. Who's going to be your fear in your life? And then I love the fact that it takes it, and who are you going to dread? Because I told myself, I'm not going to dread this. I'm going to enjoy it. Men play games. It's called hot potato. They love to <laughs> they love to stick you with something. So I told the guy, I'm going to get up, I'm going to leave, and I'll come back to you. And I started feeling myself come into my own person. The ability that I stood with the Lord. And then my dad, who's the rock of all rocks. The one who I looked to for the strength the one who had guided me through this murky, messy thing that I had gotten myself into with a letter. That everything that my dad had ever done for me, I meet him in a truck because my dad was the one that I had to let see this piece of paper I'm fixing to sign because his name's on it. And he looks at me at that moment and he says to me, Angie, I can't do it. I'm not signing it. If you sign it, it'll be your name on it. I'm not going there. I said, after all we've been through after lawyers and contracts and all this it's my name alone he said yeah i can't make myself go through it again and you can just feel test test you know test from heaven because remember what i told you when i started doing the radio station remember what i told you about the radio station when my dad told me where are my leather gloves that you lost i started to say i'm going to tell you where your leather gloves are they're in a place where the sun doesn't shine but, you know, I decided I had never said anything bad to my father. And I was like, I'm not going to say anything like that to him. And the minute something like that rose up in my heart, because I thought, I'm giving him with no pay, and he's worried about his leather gloves. And I was just like, Ugh. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, are you doing it for him, or are you doing it for me? And I was honest. I said, 50% for you, Lord, 50% for my dad. And at that moment... With that contract standing there, guess what God proved? I had grown up. It was no longer 50% for my dad. I had grown into 100% for God. He'll grow you. It's okay to be 50%. It's okay to say, God, 50% of the time I have the strength to stand for you. But you grow into what God wants from you. And that's when I realized it was really hard for me to make up my mind all by myself, it's just me and God, I'm signing this piece of paper. I didn't have to wait till my dad left earth to do it. I had already done it at that moment. And I truly think the prophetic side of my dad, whether he knew it or whether he didn't, he was creating a strength in me where I was not afraid of people. And right now, you have to make up your mind whether you're going to fear people or whether you're going to fear the Lord. You know, you're not useful to people if you fear them. 
You can only lead them if you don't fear them. Who do you fear in your life? Who makes you dread? you got to clean it up with the fear of the Lord. This is your verse, that the Lord himself is your fear. You know, Jesus came along, and he was just saying, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. I mean, just every single opportunity Jesus had, he told us not to fear. I mean, you'd hear a bad calamity come towards you, and Jesus would say, don't fear. Well, the beauty of it was he had the power to do something about it. And I think what he was giving us the message is, is if we're in an environment of fear, we won't have that miraculous power in our life. You can't think straight if you're all emotional. Like you can't, like your mind, like if something is very emotional to you, you have a very hard time of having faith for it. I had a friend and she goes, my dogs, I was praying for my dogs and and my dogs, you know, they died. And But when I was watching her pray for her dogs, it didn't look like faith. It looked like fear. She was, like, literally shaking, saying some verses. But I'm saying that I've seen people use verses to pray, but they're not praying out of faith. They're praying out of fear. And the reason she couldn't was because she was emotional. And so what I say to you, better your dogs than your children. If you're gonna if you're gonna learn something, learn on that. <laughs> because if you have an emotional attachment, it's very difficult. That's why Jesus he took some time with Lazarus and he took his time to walk there. There's that emotional connection. He even wept. You know, I remember dad when everybody was screaming, crying when that girl had fractured her skull on our property and that blood was pouring out. I remember my dad kept himself out of it emotionally. And while the rest of everybody was screaming and crying and she turned gray and she gave up her ghost, I watched my dad walk into it by not fearing. And I would ask you, make every opportunity in your life to be a way to learn not to fear. Practice. Practice. Get to 50%. Get to 100%. Get to where you have something that you practice on that emotionally is pulling your string and learn to present faith to it rather than fear. Find that thing that just sends you up the wall. Cry out to God, just like, Lord, help me, help me. In this situation that emotionally sinks my boat, I'm asking you, Lord, help me. And that's how you start getting the fear to go under your feet. That's where the first one I was talking about, the fear of man. Now I'm talking about that horrible thing called emotions. When you get an emotional blow or an emotional punch, to be able to have the presence of mind and of spirit, to be able to speak the word to it and not be crazy in your emotions, not going crazy. You know, in the midst of fear, it makes it where your mind flips. You flip from fear to faith, to faith to fear, to fear to believe. See if this statement's true. One day you believe, well, you think you believe, until you're faced with it, and the next day you're questioning everything you once believed. Have you had that? Fear to faith to fear to faith. If you're in that cycle, it's not healthy. You're not 50%. You're crazy. 
I mean, to go back and forth, fear to faith, fear to faith, fear to faith. And that's what Jesus was working with on these disciples in Matthew 8, 26. When he looks at the guys and he goes, why did you fear? You know, someone sent a video to us today. And the man who was speaking was talking about that Jesus had peace. You know, he had peace where he could sleep. I would say that you have to get your peace where you get your internal atmosphere. You know, I got tickled to reading what they wrote on this video, the comments. It said, for most people, peace is a time without war. It's a time without a virus epidemic. <laughs> for most people, peace is a time without conflict. Like, oh, I'm having a great day because I don't have any conflict. Or peace is a time, look at this, or it's as simple as a time without any noise. What is peace? Oh, no noise. <laughs> I'm drinking my tea. <laughs> I'm sitting there with no noise. And that's what they describe as peace. But this is a peace, a peace that you can have in war, a peace that you can have in conflict, a peace that you have in noise, a peace that you can have when the storm and the waves are raging, that you still have peace. Peace is something that you have inside of you. Like, it's really hard for you to speak peace if you don't have peace going on inside your inner environment. So he said to him, why did you fear? Why did you forget your faith? And then he stood up and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. And I was thinking, there are times I forget to have faith. I just forget everything I know. That's what we were talking about, where you get out and you completely forget what you were taught. You completely forget what the lesson was on. You completely forget it because you're having an experience where it makes sense to your mind, but you've never got it into your emotions and into your spirit and never got it into your actions. Where you actually get it where fear is leaving, like completely leaving your life. You know, they forgot everything they'd been taught. You know, I was thinking about, I had a person come to me just recently. Anyway, they came to me and they had a problem. And they were telling me, oh my gosh, I, I just have this problem, I have this problem. And they kept telling me all about their problem and they told me they were afraid. And so I told them, I said, okay, let me give you a scripture that has never failed me. Like it's a principle that I've used it all my life. And so I talked to them from here to where we were driving. And I was telling them, I said, get this scripture and use this scripture. I said, it works supernatural. And I get out of the car with them, and I'm so mad at them because I'm like, I told them the principle, and I was like, I don't think they even heard what I said. I don't think they were even listening to anything that I told them. And I realized, you know what I was doing? I was speaking to their head. I was thinking, oh, I'm speaking to their head. And I think if I ask them right now, if I called them up and said, do you remember the scripture I gave you or what I told you to do? They'd go, I don't remember you telling me anything. How come? Because there was a storm. And when there's a storm, you think fear. You can't think peace. You know, I was asking a friend of mine, I said, hey, I said, uh, Steph, I said, what's going on here? I, said, I don't think they were hearing me. I, I think it was just completely that I was speaking to their head and not their heart. She goes, no, it's different than that. She said, literally, there's so much fear going on in their head. They can't have any other thought go in their ear. Have you ever been in that place? So much fear is going on here. 
you can't hear a word that I'm saying to you. And so you know what I was telling myself? This is a waste of time. Why do I even do this? <laughs> this is completely a waste of time. And you know what? I tell myself, I'm so glad my dad didn't give up on me. I'm so glad God didn't give up on me. I'm so glad that I can remember those words that were spoken to me. Because I'm going to tell you what fear makes you do is forget. It makes you forget. That's how he's looking at it here. Why are you so fearful? Because you're forgetting your faith. You're forgetting what you believe. You're forgetting that thing that makes sense to you. So what was happening is literally if that environment is so crazy on the inside of you that all you hear is fear thoughts, fear thoughts, what's going to happen? What are people going to say? What are they going to do? What they? And those thoughts are like this. I can talk all day long and it never will get through to you. You can do your devotional that morning and it won't mean a thing to you. You have got to get that fear to obey the voice of Jesus. The storm that needs to be quieted first is in here. And then you have the strength to do like my mom did that night when she was speaking and she didn't want to mess up her good recording for the radio. So she just kept talking louder and the hailstorms, hailstones were going wham, 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 wham. The hailstones were hitting the skylight so hard it was drowning mother out. So mother was yelling louder and louder over the recording and you hear this coming down and everybody's sitting there going, my car's value is going down $1,000 every five seconds, you know. And so finally, we have this older guy in our church, Ted Sheldon. Ted says, Peggy Joyce, just, he just calls out in the middle of, would you just take authority over the hell? I mean, Ted's as country as they come. Well, my mother goes, um, okay, okay. And so she stops what she's doing, and she just goes, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that hell, and I command it to stop. Now, you could barely hear it because it sounded like a battering ram coming down on that skylight. I mean, it was it was the, like noise you've never heard. The minute she uses the name of the Lord and invoked the power of the Lord, y'all, it stopped. It stopped. Well, my mom, not to be outdone by the devil, she decided she's going to slice the tape and she'll have her good recording and she'll just go right on. And I was with mother. She cut the tape. She sliced it. This is the old days. She put her little piece of tape and we sent it to the radio station. We get a call from a pastor friend of ours, Kyle. And he goes, Peggy Joyce, that was a good teaching. Mother goes, oh, good. Just wonder what was so good about it. He said, oh, it's when you rebuked the hell. And it stopped. And Mother goes, I cut that out. And that's all he got out of it was that Mother rebuked the hell and then it worked. I mean, you talk about God overriding you. I mean, that is crazy. Mother cut God out. I mean, <laughs> she cut the miracle right out of that. So anyway, this is what you've got to do inside of yourself. You have got to get rid of that crazy thoughts, that storm, because it'll make you forget. It'll make you forget what God's done in your life. You'll forget the testimonies. Have you ever noticed every time you face another problem, it's like you forget every time God's helped you in the past? It's like this problem is worse. It's bigger than anything I've ever faced before. 
all your miracles and all your testimonies go right out the door because fear. And it makes you forget. Fear is the forgetting disease. Anxiety is what makes you not remember where everything is. Fear is what makes you not be intentional. Fear is your culprit. It is what is stealing life away from you. You forget what you last heard. And that's what Jesus was telling these guys. He goes, look, didn't I just do the, the loaves and the fishes, and now you're mad about forgetting bread? Here you are in the boat. Didn't you forget that I'm with you? I mean, we so often forget one important thing, God. <laughs> we forget he's with us. <laughs> we forget he's asleep in the boat. <laughs> we forget that God, that he does life with us. Okay, so what's the answer to these kind of things? The number one answer is to get those thoughts, that battering ram of thoughts outside of you, is you've got to do the exchange system. You've got to do it. Don't just learn the words. Do it. We went up to Hereford, and they were all talking about the exchange system. But they weren't using moms. But the verse that I like using for this is 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's exchanged, <laughs> fear is exchanged for power, love, and sound mind. So when I'm facing something that makes me have the shakes, I tell myself, okay, I'm exchanging this for power. What does power feel like in this situation? Sometimes I tell myself, what is the boldest thing I could do at this moment? Like if I'm afraid to do anything, I think, what is the boldest move I could make? Like, how can I surprise everyone else on this situation? I would tell you right now, exchange fear for courage. Ask yourself, the thing that you're afraid of, what's the boldest move you can make against it? you got to out-scheme it. Power. What's the thing you're most afraid of? What's your boldest move you can make? That's called power. Second thing that I have is love. What does love look like on me for this? This determines my motive. I have fear, so my motive must be love. I have to exchange it. Fear is selfishness. Love is the fruit of the Lord. That I have love. Love dominates. Love heals. Love has compassion. Love is, oh my goodness, I can't imagine this world without love. So I have power and love. It can't get any better than that, except that I'm saying you remember the guy that we'd always came in here? He goes, I've noticed about women, they all have a 10% margin of crazy in them. <laughs> I should call his name. He said, everyone, they had 10% crazy. We won't talk about people that have 100% crazy. But anyway, I thought that was funny. It's, that's that sound mind. That's that time of making your mind sound. You know, because you can be a very calm person, be eaten up with fear. You can be somebody that you look like you have it together and you got a smile on your face and it's a poker face, but deep down, you're afraid. This isn't a cover-up job. Some people don't hide it well. But this is the exchange system where you exchange the shakiness of fear for the stability that God gives you of a soundness of mind, where your mind is calm. And this is what I'm going to say to you. If you haven't been doing the work of exchanging faith, if you have not been doing the work of exchanging faith for fear, pain for a promise, you're in sad shape right now. 
because all it takes is a trigger from the news and it's a panic and you're in a full blown state of crazy because it triggers it if you have not been doing the biblical work of exchanging and there are a lot of people that know it but I speak into their head but I can't think of a time I've ever seen a beat crazy and immediately go to God's word so I'm saying you've got to have some testimonies right here where when I ask you when have you done this and you can tell me I was crazy and then I started speaking God's word to myself and I turned to sound mind you may have other ways you do it you may have these self-medicating ways these coping methods these different things that's why people play the music really loud you may have things that you do even worse at music what's worse is the other kind of music but you use it to get your mind to calm down. But the only thing that really changes it is God's Word. It's the only thing that really brings that core, core, core level of peace. So you have really got to do the work here. You have really got to fight. I'm telling you, this is not a pretty scripture. I'm not talking about exchange system being sweet. This is not something to put on just the women's table at a luncheon i'm telling you it's war room faith it's fight it's where you feel you sound like what was her name i can't think of her name we just heard her preaching yeah you hear priscilla shire screaming on dr dobson today and it's like if it's a war you want it's a war you got i'm telling you exchange systems are so important to get the faith going inside of you fear out faith in promises up panic out this is what happens so if you feel that sense of shaking you'll be shocked how fast it'll switch you know we were talking about that today you know you may be picking up that atmosphere around you but when you start going through the scriptures like sometimes when i feel that coming on me i'll go the last thing i want to do is look at my bible study lesson <laughs> the last thing i want to do is you know like you feel too shaken to do it but if you go ahead and start doing it, you think, oh, wow, I feel my strength. And a few minutes later, you're like, I don't even know why I felt that. You have got to have had that experience of the switch. If you've never felt it switch, it'll switch so fast you can't believe it. Trust me on that. I'm asking you, trust me, that you literally can take a monster-sized piece of panic. And in minutes, you can have that thing lassoed. <laughs> A bridle, spurs in it, and it under your feet. You can get it down pretty quick. And what was such a monster becomes so small. It will roar with intimidation. But then, like the man I was telling you about, he's laughing at how funny it is later. Because it starts out intimidating. It ends up where you want it to be, the laugh of faith. So, what are you feeding yourself? What do you allow in? You know, it was so hard for me to want to come teach Crosslines because I was looking on Facebook at one of my Crossliners' pages who wasn't doing what they should and looking at how many of my Crossliners liked it. And somebody was trying to resuscitate me of looking at all y'all's likes on something that was not faith in. And someone was explaining to me, oh, they're just liking it because they go through it really quick and they're not reading it. And I was like, bull. This makes me want to quit. It makes me think, every man for himself, look, 
I'm going to just do my own thing in life and do it because I'm looking at this going, you've got to be kidding. This guy was wanting me to invest with him. And he was like, look, I can earn you money. And I saw his like on there. And I'm like, I'm not investing with you. You just lost your investment. I'm not messing with it. This business of salty water and fresh water, it ain't working. And you can't live this double kind of thing of just literally scudge stupid stuff. Stuff that we've agreed to is compromise. And literally put a lock on it. It doesn't work. It makes me feel like I'm a failure. And I decided instead of going down as a failure, I'm going to take a stick and beat you harder. Because you have standards. You're not a compromiser. Are you? Because fear will get you to compromise. People pleasing will get you to compromise. If you're believing God for the right person, then be that right person. Be that strength. Have that steel. Make that stand. Don't go into it and do that kind of stuff. It made me want to go gather up some of those people I've let launch and whip them. <laughs> Pay attention to what you're saying agreement to. You know, in that first scripture, the sentence that I didn't read was it says that we make an unnatural alliance. And part of the reason fear has a legal right to stick in our life is we're making an unnatural alliance with something that's not right. Pay attention. Likes or alliances. You're putting it out there forever to say, I'm aligning myself with this mess. I really do expect more from you. I really do. I expect more. And I will be on the phone with my crossliners that have graduated. And I will say, what are you thinking? We're cleaning this up. Because it makes no sense to me. I'm not going to take this water down Well, they're just liking it in a hurry. I don't think so. I think it's exactly what we're talking about here, that we are not paying attention to our eye gates and our ear gates. We're letting stuff in. Y'all, the amount of time it takes to do deliverance when you watch horror movies, the amount of time it takes to get one of those things out of you, the amount of time it takes to get into this stuff, because... I mean, this person was saying, I mean, they're letting, the, you could see the demonic thing, the kingdom come into them. I mean, I've had phone calls from them in the middle of the night saying, help me. And then when they wake up good in the morning saying, I don't need your help. But I'm saying that ear gates and those eye gates, they're important. And they make a lot of work. Why do you think I went to Hastings and bought every witch book they had in there? It took me three carts full of books to get out of Hastings. Erica knows she helped me burn them and buy them. And I was witnessing to the lady, and she goes, I, I don't get why you're witnessing to me, and look what you're buying. And I'm like, oh. I mean, they're piled over. They're levitation. I mean, there was some great how to crawl out of your body and get into someone else. I mean, you can do a lot of crazy, you, you know, crazy stuff. Mostly oh, yeah, let's get into the kids. And the whole reason was when the books went 90% off, I'm like, I'll pay the 10% to keep from having to do that many deliverances. I was pushing that card to the thing thinking, this is three cards less of deliverances somebody will have to do in life. Because it makes the crazy. But I'm thinking I would be at Hastings watching the witch hall and who's on it. And I think that's where I would do my investigations. Because that's where the crazy goes down. And we're compromising, y'all. If the city official is not walking with God... Don't make an alliance with them. 
If they're not walking with God, don't make an alliance with that city official. Don't. He will not help you. Believe me, I know from experience. We've tried it both ways. That city guy won't help you. Okay. So, I was talking to somebody, and they were talking about the fact that all of a sudden they were hit with a thought, and it just, it, like it broke them mentally. When we started putting it together, we were like, it wasn't just one thought, it was three. Three thoughts hit them at once, kind of like a convergence, and it takes you, like where you're feeling high. Have you ever had a happy day? And then it feel terrible for that happy day to go <laughs> completely to a low day. That's what I like on Psalm 91.3. It says, you won't be caught by the snare of the fowler. That talks about a bird flying, a fowler, and you throw a net over it. The bird is so happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. And then a net goes over it, down to the ground. That's you. A happy day, and you're having a terrible day. The Arabic people have a word for it. It's high highs. Low lows. And that's how you feel because the devil likes to put a net over the top of your head. And that's exactly what those thoughts do. You're having a good day and the devil doesn't like it and he wrecks the back of your truck. I mean, there is something that will happen to you on high highs and low lows and you're happy. And then you think of something you dread and you pinpoint it. All of a sudden, I watch them be overcome overcome you know how i knew how they felt because i'd gone through the same thing myself <laughs> you can have it where a spirit comes over the top of you there are spirits out there the spirit of fear will engulf you heaviness will engulf you discouragement depression it's a spirit witchcraft it comes after you, trying to control you, trying to wreck you. Y'all, pay attention. Don't be oblivious of the devil's schemes of what he's cooking up. Just like we were here in preach. He looks for your insecurities. He looks for your vulnerabilities. He studies you, and he tries to drop you from high to low very quickly. And when we pinpoint it, we quit being seized by it. Sometimes just telling it the truth We'll straighten it up. Sometimes you need a friend. I'm going to tell you, Robbie saved my life a few months back. I thought I was dying. <laughs> I've never had an assault like this on my life, my heart, my walk with God. And I don't know how she did it, but she would shoot me that thing I needed at the moment I needed it. It has to be God. I've never been that low on the ground needing a word from God. Someone that has spoke the word all my life, I'm telling you, you're under heavy warfare. A friend will shoot you the word. It was better than chicken soup <laughs> on a cold night. I'm telling you, I have this sermon that I love. The wind and the word you know, if I'm your friend, I'm going to send you that sermon at some point because it literally, the word will save your life. And I not only love the word, I love the timeliness, the right moment. And so I'm going to tell you, I understood what this person was going through of depression coming over them because you can't ever think you're above it. 
because the enemy has studied you for a long time to hit you with what will hurt you the most. It's not a fair war. And what's not fair is to have that mess going on and the mess going on out here and the mess going out here. That's why I'm saying I declare the cross lines a fear-free zone because when you come in here, you can get peace. You get power over your problems. You get strength. You say it out loud. You are my God in whom I trust. Psalm 91, 5 through 6. You know, we always say, the Lord says this from terror by night, arrows by day, pestilence that stalks in darkness, and destruction that lays waste at noon. But I didn't quote it right. What did I not quote right about it? Do you know? Every one of them I made a mistake on. He delivers you from terror by night, arrows by day, pestilence. What am I leaving out? Every single one of them I left something out. Do you know? You will not fear terror by day. Fear arrows. Fear pestilence. The biggest problem we have right now in the United States is fear. It's the fear. Y'all, fear is the enemy. We think the thing itself is the enemy. Fear is the enemy. In 2 Kings 1.10, even prophets succumb to fear. And it's not what you will think. It's Elijah. But it's not the day after he had Jezebel after him. This is when they came to arrest him. And it says he was afraid. And his way of handling fear is a little bit different than most people. He calls fire down from heaven <laughs> to consume the people that are coming to arrest him. It's a good idea. They came with their handcuffs. <laughs> and he calls fire down from heaven on them. And it consumes them. And they become ashes. And it wasn't like calling fire down from heaven on Carmel. But it was those who's taken him captive. And I wanted to say something to you on this. A mad prophet, a prophet that's angry, stay away from them. You don't want what they're going to pronounce during the time when they're angry. <laughs> For having had a father who turned into, I realized, a prophet. <laughs> when I, I lost him, I was like, oh my lands. I could feel that prophetic thing. It was nice having a father. But it wasn't good on the day he was mad. Whether he was right or wrong was not the object. Him being mad, he was still a prophet. And that's exactly what Elijah was going through. The Bible says he was afraid. Jesus even quotes this story and says, don't be of the wrong spirit. It took him a couple of tries of killing 50 at a time before he got over his fear. So I'm giving you some advice. Stay away from a mad prophet. Stay away from a fearful prophet. You need special gloves to handle them. Like, I have this thing in, in mind that I would love to take care of President Trump when he hits his 90s because he will be a handful. I'm telling you, the guy is used to ruling. He Probably at night he puts his finger on the nuke button and feels what it feels like. He looks in his football suitcase and he thinks, what we could do with this? My dad has some ideas if I can ever get my chance to advise him. He will love my dad's ideas. They're genius. Trump can do them. But it's exactly what we're talking about here. 
These guys are used to power. It's not good when they get it mixed up with fear. And the same way with you. You may have experienced great power in your life, but when you get afraid, people need to be real careful with you <laughs> because the power still works. The mad, the fear, the specifics. King David says in Psalm 56, 3, but when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. It just took Elijah two or three tries before he got that. Leaders and fears. I'm going to give you a million-dollar question. This is what everybody's asking right now. Can you tell me whether something is fear-based or wisdom-based? Like sneezing in your elbow. Is that fear-based? Wisdom-based. Making your bike where you can see it at night. Making your car be a color that people can see on the road. Is that fear-based? Wisdom-based. I'm going to say this. It can be both. It can be the same action but different motives. A person can do one of these precautionary things and it would be based out of wisdom. Or they can do one of them and it can be fear. I'm telling you, look at your heart. Because people are preaching this stuff like it's the gospel. And they're preaching it like it's a religion. And they're preaching it like it's the gospel of love. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter which action you take on it, whether you sneeze into your elbow or whether you don't sneeze into your elbow. It's what action, it's what's motive in here. That's the only thing that can clean it up. You know, Jesus was moved out of Bethlehem. Is he moved out of, by fear or by love? By obedience. You know, you look at John eight fifty nine. it says Jesus hid. And then there's scriptures where Jesus did not hide. Jesus hid because they picked up rocks to kill him. Is it precautionary or is it faith? So I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of what people call wisdom, and it's really clothing for fear. You know, my dad said how he used to hear the Lord on money was he would take money off the table and say, if I had all the money in the world, would I still buy this insurance? Because you can buy insurance because your salesman scares the living daylights out of you. Of 20,000 ways you can die. <laughs> I'm not saying it. But I'm saying he would say, or you could look at it and say, I'm going to fight the devil with everything I've got. Do you see the difference between faith-based fear-based? I'm asking you to make the distinction. Because the one thing you can't fool is the spirit realm. If it's fear-based, it attracts it to you. If it's faith-based, you just add another layer of protection, even in the natural. Like, if you're buying a car because of the safest on the road, that can be wisdom. But if you have something in you, you feel like you're going to die, or you're scared of dying, then you've got to get that fear off of you. Like, get some oil out and anoint your car. Believe me, when I saw Clary had a car... It was driving in Houston. I mean, I was like, I'm going to lay hands on this. <laughs> I'm saying there are ways to do protection for its wisdom and the natural. And there's a ways that literally you're putting spiritual clothing on it. And the only person you're fooling is yourself. Get the fear out of it. I don't know if another person can pass judgment on you on this and know for sure. 
I mean, sometimes fear is very easily recognizable and stuff that comes out of your mouth lets you know. But deep down, ask yourself, these precautions I'm taking, am I doing it because of faith, because of wisdom, because of love, or is it fear? Get the fear laced. It could even be a percentage. Have I not commanded you, be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. This is a commandment, overcoming fear. You know, I was thinking about this verse. I want you to look at 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. Have you caused somebody harm because of fear? Where you've spread something out of fear? Do you have a fear pushing you where you're pushing people with whatever fear is inside of you? Do you have a fear pushing you that whatever's on your mind you just blurt it out because you're in fear so just out of your mouth? If all they have is fear coming out of their mouth. Fear, it provokes you. Like, I mean, just fear, 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 fear. It drives you up the wall. And they respect the fear more than they respect the Word of God. So, I'm saying in 2 Samuel 4.4 4 is our scripture. And it says, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was born okay. But guess what happened? Saul got into fear over the Philistines. And when the terror of Saul's death hit and the nurse found out about it, she was carrying the baby and ran with the baby and fell and smushed the baby and made the baby cripple. You see how Saul's fear of the Philistines, that he didn't get straightened out with God, caused a ripple effect of fear, and it started a process, and that kid paid for it the rest of his life. Your fear can harm somebody else. And that's the story of Mephibosheth. That you can be a carrier. That you hear the news of Saul. And it's a chain reaction. Saul's fear. The nurse's fear. And guess what? An innocent person is hurt. I'm telling you, fear makes you do some selfish, stupid things. And sometimes you can be a carrier of fear. And your fear harms somebody else. And I started having a problem. I picked up something in somewhere. But I was in India, and I would get in rooms, and number one, you're 100 and something degrees, and you feel like your head's fixing to come off. My gosh, the heat and the humidity. And then they put you in the back, and there's no exits out of that place. And I've never been one to ever care about that stuff. But when it's wall-to-wall people, and we're talking about being a carrier of fear and how this nurse ran for her life because she was scared they'd kill the baby because Saul had just been killed, and this was Saul's grandson, and she fell on the baby and made a cripple out of it. Being caught in small places or an elevator where the electricity goes off and you're stuck in it. or There's just some different things that can happen to you on foreign fields that just make you feel, <gasps> and so every time I rebuked it, it would leave, so I thought the demon had left me. Does that make sense? Have you ever, like you're in fear at the moment, so you think when you get that spirit off of you, you think the spirit has departed, and it had departed. It's going to come back for a more opportune time. You just, you got it off of you for that situation, but it didn't leave you. And I never thought that through. Because over here, I don't have so many of those experiences. I mean, I took scuba diving and dove, you know, 80 foot down further, where you can't have a fear attack and go straight. Train myself out of that. And here I was, flat, not doing okay. And then I get onto a, a train in the Philippines 
you know, little Maloo is buried with Gazia, and they put you in there with like cattle cars, and it's hot, and the men start shoving, and my first thought was, we're crazy. <laughs> I stood against that thought because I knew <laughs> if something like that ever happened, I would never be able to live this down. I knew that was the devil. They opened the door and they put more of us in there. Y'all, I could, I mean, those guys, I was just like watching them. And finally, that fear that I had, you know, kept leaving and coming back, I got off the train. I didn't care where I got off the train. I jumped the train. And I left my friends on the train. I don't care if I ever see them again. I wanted off that train. I mean, that's not smart Manila at night, but I jumped the train. And I didn't wait to see if they jumped. I kind of hoped they didn't because I didn't want to hear about it. I was just going to, I don't know what I thought I was going to do. I wanted off that train. And you can't do that. You can't. <laughs> Blue took one look at me when she jumped that train. She was madder and spitting <laughs> nails at me. And she goes, what's wrong with you? And I go, I think I picked up a demon in India. She goes, I thought you were supposed to be casting them out, not collecting them. <laughs> you know Malou. She said it like yeah. And so Malou got me calm like she always did. We started evangelizing together, and I started feeling, you know, my old self return. It felt like old times with Malou. She told Steph, get that demon off of her. And this time, when Steph cast it off, it never came back. You know how I know? I had to get back on that train that night, and I'm calm. <laughs> you know, the Lord was merciful. But I'm telling you, you can have things where your fear can hurt other people. And I gave you my personal vulnerable example to tell you, you got to get it off of you. you got to get somebody that can get that spirit of fear off of you. You won't only hurt you, you will hurt other people. Because at the time you need to be sound-minded, you will do something stupid. You know, my grandma was with my cousin when she started giving birth. And my grandma, instead of helping her, she ran. And my cousin had to deliver her own baby. She gave birth and she delivered her own baby. This is a happy story because the baby lived. Cleared the airwaves, got the baby breathing. But if that baby died, my grandma would never be able to forgive herself. I'm telling you, the devil looks for those moments to wreck your life. Practice on things that don't matter. Look forward to something happening so you can use your faith. Just say, this is a good place to experiment. You know, it says in Luke 21, 26, in the last days, hearts will fail because fear will come on a man's heart and anxiety, and it will cause our hearts to fail. I'm asking you, don't be like that nurse because she carried fear with her. She didn't just carry the baby. She carried the fear. I was looking at Job, and everybody knows what Job got in trouble for. What does it say? What he feared came upon him. But do you know what specifically he was fearing? It's funny what he was really fearing. It says, And when the days of feasting were over, Job would send for his children to purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. 
For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And it says, and this was a regular practice. And we know that fear and faith don't mix in Hebrews 4 2. So even though he was doing something by faith, he was doing it mixed with fear. So you can be doing things by faith, but it's mixed with fear. And it doesn't have the right results. You can be quoting the word. You can be doing different things. And it's constant fear. And Job was in constant fear that his children were sinning, and it put him in torment. And when they were struck, he says, I was expecting it. I fear to fear. I'm, you can feel fear has a magnet inside of it, and it draws the very thing you fear to you. And so I was looking at this verse. I was thinking that fear gives legal entry, and that's what got him in trouble was having a, I want you to write this down, perpetual fear that he never addressed and he never made a plan to make the fear go away. He was just going to, the rest of his life, offer a sacrifice. And this is what I want you to write down in your notes. It is addressing the problem rather than addressing the fear. That's good. Another way of saying it is we see, we're seeing the problem as if it, the problem is the problem rather than seeing that the fear is the problem. This month I had someone get me and they were like, can you believe this, Justin, this story? My computer crashed. They wanted me to fix it. My computer <laughs> crashed. And I told them, you go get rid of the fear and the anxiety. And they go, no, 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 you fixed my computer. And they were screaming. And I know the feeling. I said, no, you go get rid of the fear and the anxiety. And they were hounding me to fix their problem. And I said, I'll make you a deal. You get the fear off of you, and I'll get the problem off your computer. They did, and I did. And that was the way that I'm telling you the the problem is not the crash computer. The problem is not the problem. The problem is the fear. And that's what Job's thing was. The problem was the fear. And what happens is you have let into your life a perpetual fear that you never planned to get rid of. You never planned to let it go. Ezekiel 14, 14, 18, and 20 says, these were grown children. And it says, even these men of integrity, like Job, had no power to do the work their children needed to be doing themselves. He should have gone to the kids and said, by golly, you're not going to curse God. You're going to get this straight, and you're going to give me some peace of mind. But instead, he kept a continuous fear. Address the fear. Face it. Look at it. Answer it. If Job had fought the fear itself, if you don't get moved out of it, you'll go over it and over it and over it. Because it says, and Job did this every single day of his life. I feared a fear and it, I kept fearing it. I kept fearing it and I kept fearing it and it kept coming. What fear have you not found a solution to? Find a solution. A continual sacrifice will be what will happen if you don't find a solution to that fear. If you don't solve it. Solve the problem. So many times we solve the problem, but we don't get the fear out. We want the problem gone, but we don't want the fear gone. Look at it opposite. I want the fear gone before I get the problem off. Handle the fear in yourself first. Otherwise, you'll live with the fear. If you don't solve it, it'll be continual sacrifice. 
The next day, the same fear comes. If you had fear in your life, you'll have to make sacrifices. These are called the sacrifices of fear, not of faith. And some of you are making sacrifices, but they're sacrifices on the altar of fear. And they may be blood sacrifices, but they will not work on the sacrifice on the altar of fear. Deal with it as a fear. Let me give you the same idea. 1 Samuel 17, 16. Goliath came and he gave the challenge every morning, every evening for 40 days. And this is what I call, what fear have you not answered? Goliath is causing you to fear because of his size, because of his intimidation, because of his ugliness, because of his military training, the fact that he hates you and wants to kill you, because Goliath is ugly. <laughs> He's nine foot nine, and you're five foot and a centimeter. <laughs> Goliath came out every single day. It says in the morning and in the evening, he would say the same thing. He made a speech for 40 days. That is 80 speeches. This is a perpetual fear. It's always with you. What comes out every morning and every evening and mocks you? I've never read this. I've never thought of it. It just came to me today. It's a perpetual fear. You must answer it. Answer it in peacetime. Because you're going to walk out that door and it's not going to be peacetime. I talked to y'all last week on battles and identifying them. And did the battle start? Because I got a, a bad feeling in my stomach last week. It's going to be too late for some people. And I had something else to talk to you about. But it was going to not work. Because this is what the Lord showed me. And I told you. You know what a teaching ministry is? A teaching ministry would be like me running beside that nurse that was carrying the baby and saying, hey, let me teach you on overcoming fear. It'll really work. You need to put this into practice. You want? That's how I feel like I'm doing now. It's too late for a teaching ministry. I'm running beside you, trying to teach you as you're running like crazy, and you don't hear a word I say. The time has passed for it. If you didn't listen in peacetime, you won't be able to hear in panic time. And that was the picture I saw of myself. And I'm disgusted because of what's falling on the earth. I feel like I'm trying to outrun the panic and teach you while you're running. Steph was giving me a thousand excuses why people aren't putting it into practice. And I'm saying, eight years, I've taught it. For this group and I'm saying I feel like I'll be running beside you how to overcome depression how to overcome fear you have to quit listening to me here and listen to me here you have to do it you have to exchange we're in a time it's not playing out here fun game it's real now people are going down like flies their lives I can't hardly even stomach Facebook seeing people's lives get de devastated. I'm telling you, put this into practice. I think my words each week are more and more prophetic of timing of what we're facing. I'm saying the time was yesterday. 
put this into practice. So what David did was he replied carefully to everything that Goliath had said to him. David's speech sounds very much like a prophetic judgment. And in fact, it was. David was declaring God's judgment on Goliath. You must declare God's judgment on the fears. It is like a courtroom scene. Goliath had laughed at David's size. He laughed at his staff, which is his stick. David knew that Goliath's weapons were more advanced than his. Saul had talked to him about it. I mean, Goliath is rolling laughing because David comes out there with a stick and he thinks, you've got to be kidding. This guy's going to whip me with a stick. He didn't see the sling, but that would have been funnier to him. It said he was handsome and he despised him in his heart. Goliath trusted in his size and he said, you're a boy. Goliath had asked for his false gods to punish David. He had said that literally he was going to take David and he was going to so smash him and kill him that the wild birds and the animals would eat up David's body. And guess what David did? He answered him. Notice, he says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. He says, I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defile or who you defy. This is the day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down. I'll cut off your head. He said, it will be your head on this very day that I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals. I'm not going to just kill you. I'm going to kill all of them. And he said, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And guess what? The whole world knows about this battle. All these gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And that's what happened in this battle. They said they started killing, and they killed from all the way from there, I think they said to Gaza. That's, a, I think, 200 miles of dead bodies. That was a day of killing. And that's what your fears need to look like, where you've slaughtered them in every direction, that you've answered them. Otherwise, like Job, you're going to be given sacrifices. You're going to have perpetual fears. They're going to go unanswered. You're not going to get them off of you. And it'll be that literally, literally, any fear you leave unanswered will come for you. So these are our principles tonight. There's an environment of fear, running with fear, the precautions of fear, the sacrifices of fear, the fears you haven't answered, and that God alone is the only one that deserves your fear. Do not let fear be your Lord. Don't let it be your God. Don't let it make your decisions. You tell fear, today you're coming down. Amen. <laughs> I don't want us to leave out of here without you getting a chance to repent for fear. You know, like that lady that said, I've been venting my frustrations for 20 years and it's an open door. And the Lord said, you know, that from 20 years back you opened doors. Can we get our fear doors shut by repenting? Because, you know, I was thinking if I was that nurse, if I was running beside that nurse trying to say, hey, let me teach you about overcoming fear. Don't panic. And 
she wouldn't know that it was a prophetic thing that I was doing to her to keep her from falling and crippling someone for life. And a lot of times at the end of the panic is something crippled for life. And that's what the teaching ministry is trying to do is prevent you from wrecking something that you don't want wrecked in your life. Because it just seems like the enemy, he's just a lot angrier these days. And he's taking advantage and doing really cruel things. So I thought, John, if we could do a call to repentance. I mean, I would love to, you know, just see every one of us. I'd love for you to get what I got where I got that fear completely off of me. I couldn't do it by my mind. I couldn't will it away. I had to have that spirit to leave me. And you may be dealing with a spirit of fear, a generational curse. But the first thing to do is break that curse of fear coming down your family line and to repent. And let's go there. And I would love for you to just say, I'm going to take you seriously on this. And I'm going to tell myself, fear is is an ugly name. I'm not going to call it by a nice name. It says in Revelations 21, the fearful go to hell. You don't think about that, the cowardly. So let's let's repent and get it cleaned up and get it broken. And we'll have three quarters of the battle because I want to see y'all prospering and victorious and not compromised and literally the strength for all these people out here that are crazy. This group isn't the one that's crazy. I don't believe it about you. I believe there's victory in you. And these problems in your life have to yield. I don't care how many kids you've had. Those problems in your life have to yield. My kids are having lots of kids. We need a lot of victory. Amen. So, John, let's do that. Yeah. Will everybody stand up, please?